When my partner and I were through hiking in Canada, we were on one of the longer more remote sections. We were about halfway through the section hiking through a curvy tree-covered tunnel-like area where you can only see 30 feet ahead of you at times. All of a sudden 15 feet ahead of me is this old skinny tall man standing on the side of trail. This man had no backpack or anything remotely equipped to be this far into the backcountry. At first I wasn't thinking anything of it and stopped to say hello. As my partner walked up from behind the man barely even looked at her and started acting a little creepy. I take a quick glance down at his coffee mug in his hand thinking I'd jokingly ask him what the hell has doing out here with only a coffee mug, then I see that his hand is dripping in blood. I didn't say anything about it but quickly said well we better keep hiking, have a good day. As we were hiking away I told my partner about his bleeding hand. We hiked for the next 4 hours constantly looking back over our shoulders. Later I checked the map and realized that there was a road that was about 1 kilometer away that ran parallel to the trail, so it could have been possible that this man just was out for a little morning hike to look at the ocean views, but still freaked the f out of us at that time, and I still wonder why his hand was all bloody. Me and three of my friends went biking on a trail that was closed for the night during high school. The trail is in a large park that closes at sunset and this is about 1 to 2 am and maybe 40 degrees outside. We decided to head to this hidden lake we knew about, but it turns out they had paved up to it recently. Awesome. The lake is kind of small, maybe a little more than a football field across at the most. Everything was pretty dead quiet except for some frogs and the trees whistling. The night was pretty clear and you could see a lot of the stars. As we cross this new bridge over the edge of the lake that goes over a stream, I start to hear laughing. I thought I was hearing things or maybe one of us had somehow gone around while I wasn't looking. I look at my friends and they're all there and they hear it too. They looked as confused as I did. I asked them what the hell was going on and they had no idea either. At first, it sounded like it came across from the lake. But it wasn't like someone really laughing at a joke, it sounded like someone laughing at us because they could see us but we couldn't see them if that makes sense. Suddenly, it sounded like it was coming from different places around the lake. Then it got super loud. It sounded like the lake and forest exploded with noise including the sounds of the frogs. It suddenly sounded like thousands of them were croaking so we freaked out and booked it on our bikes. At one point, we were going uphill the way we came and it felt like someone lifted my tire and flipped my bike backwards. I hopped back on and started looking around but couldn't see anyone. It's pretty dark and the moon is barely showing. It still felt like I was being chased and I kicked it into third gear up that hill and pedaled as hard as I could. It was like I could sense something behind me the whole time but I couldn't figure it out. The laughter kind of stopped after about a half mile, but I didn't stop until we reached the end about, five? Miles later. I ended up catching up to my friends near the end who were freaking out because they hadn't noticed I was gone until about five minutes before I pulled up to them. My legs were so destroyed the next day, 
I could barely walk. I've been back to that lake since, but never at night and it's pretty popular now. There's all kinds of weird stuff that supposedly happens in the forest all around my city, but they're typically just stories people make up when they're drinking. A popular one is a type of animal-slash-humanoid that glides through the trees without making a sound and listens for people who are deep in the forest. A lot of people do go missing and some of them are never solved. But I think it's mostly the rednecks who get in disputes over meth. Was on a backpacking trip at with Lacoochee Forest in Brooksville, Florida. When we got to the site, we found enormous cat prints just outside of camp while collecting firewood. Fast forward to the middle of the night, I'm sound asleep in my hammock when something pushes down on one of the straps, causing my head to elevate and waking me up. I freeze and wait to see what'll happen next. Slowly it releases and I'm laying flat again. No footsteps or anything could be heard. The next morning, I ask if anyone had accidentally wandered into my strap in the middle of the night. No one had. I can only assume a Florida panner had curiously inspected my hammock, then walked off. I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades. Protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to try to keep people safe for the next time you venture to the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. Anyway, we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down, let nature regrow a little bit. The winter had just passed and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsites to decide which ones need time to recover, and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold. Not too many people camp during the winter aside from rugged masochists and Boy Scout troops lead by people who believe they are rugged masochists. I didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary. The first site was clear and ready to go. As I'm trekking to the next site, I see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river valley. Looks like some jackasses set up an unauthorized camp down there. Usually when that happens, they leave garbage and smoldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Stuff scattered everywhere the skeletons of tents still raised up. And blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged into the brush. I pull my radio off my belt and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of my holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then get on my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Prey get quiet when they sense a predator. 
I hope all the birds are being still on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler. A tent that has been annihilated, with more blood splashed on the walls and inside. People died here. I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. Shreds of clothes, and a little viscera drawing all the goddamn flies here, but no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs here that cut trails through the deep brush and are even more dangerous than the bears. But this isn't either of them. The devastation here, it's just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally backup arrives, and I'm sent to report to HQ. They even brought medics out here. I don't know why, there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the scene. I'm glad to get the hell out of here. I get back and HQ is a buzz. Only four people work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing and the air feels electrified. The manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, ashen looking with bloodshot eyes. I sit down by his desk, and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him, uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterward, and his hands tremble a bit. There's a very long pause, and I expect more questions. He doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. After a few minutes I hear him call someone up, and a long low conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high. We're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls crises. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorized camp and the sites closest to it. I'm not arguing, I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that's the end of it. New orders, relocate the existing campsites closer to HQ. Before we do that, we stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of a nesting ground. We put up a few cameras pointed at the hog trails through the brush for good measure. A couple days pass, and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple hours into reviewing, he freaks out. Starts screaming and yelling. Gets on the phone calling up the line spitting more obscenities. He spends the rest of the day and that night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. Next morning I show up for a meeting. Manager doesn't look like he slept. Massive changes afoot. He lays out our new plans, including massively bright lampposts circling the park border as well as floodlights around the ranger station. Campsites need to be moved even closer in. Clear lines of sight from the light, if possible. I butt in, telling him that defeats the point of going camping. If you're just going on a short walk through the grass then setting up so close you can see the parking lot. He tells me to shut up that it's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're now required to have a long gun on our person at all times. 
Now it isn't uncommon for Rangers to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out in the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. These aren't your chill neighbor who hides a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think we have no right over them, the true patriots. Both groups have a few common points, they tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a potshot at some dumb poor ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind Elliot Ness, Mr. I fought Al Capone and one got scared off busting up Appalachian moonshiners because they constantly sniped at him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around. Not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. Manager tells me more changes to protocol will be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy. Monitor the radios, bust up the parties if needed, check for poachers if they're operating nearby, make sure the forest doesn't burn down. I clock in and per instructions, go to the gun cage. My, things have changed. Our shotguns have new rifled barrels, so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear, God forbid you ever need it. The R-15s have been stepped up too. The old 15-round magazines have been replaced by 30-round ones. Someone even snuck us in hollow-point rounds. Makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to do more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We're not a war zone. We don't need this firepower. Next to the radio, there are new instructions. Now we're not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the issue is then we report to a new phone number I don't recognize. Time passes slowly tonight, I'm not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few uneventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes. It's so bright out there a blind man could see. A week later some kids roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to, no one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a camp out that will be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I call my manager to report. He instructs me to call the new number, I report up to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. He asks the issue. Bunch of kids on an unauthorized site, do I go break it up? I can see their campfire out the ridge right now. No. Do not leave the building. Do not attempt communication. That is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak the manager rides up. It's real early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No. The car's still there. Let them rest. 
They're probably all hungover. He curses. Non-stop. He then goes inside to make a call. I'm outside looking up the ridge when he exits the station. One AR-15 in his hand, another one strapped across his back. Glock on his hip. He marches single-mindedly toward his car. I try to ask him what in God's name he's doing but he isn't listening or responding. He takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge. I yell after him, to no reply. I consider following him, but that doesn't seem like a good idea. I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice. The same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to that campsite. Armed to the teeth, and carrying gasoline. What the F do I do? Stay there. Do not interfere. Backup is inbound. Report if there are any developments. About the same time I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge, two vans ride into the lot at a screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armored exit quickly. I go out to check, who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with that impeccable military precision. One of them, a commander, I assume exists the vehicle last. He says, which direction did he go? I mean he's up there. I point at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I try to shout after them, but no response. I look at the vans they came in. Large, nondescript. They just say DOI response team on the side. Half an hour later they return, dragging the manager with them. He is bound in zip ties. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. He screams, I did what needed to be done. Trust me. It's worse than they thought. We can't stop this. Burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me, my neck hairs bristle in cold fear. I need to see the office. All computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes. I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear into those vans. 
The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun cage. Cute. You're out of your league. He scoffs. Finally they found everything they looked for. The commander tells me, call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new superior. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave, and just on cue the fire brigade and a few news vans show up. The fire is contained, the news reports say. Rumors of missing campers are unsubstantiated at this time. Still the rumors alone are enough to scare of this season's campers. The quick change-up of managers is chalked up to bureaucracy. The press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully with no new campers and our now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here. Rebuilding the station took some time, and we just set up the new campsites. They're practically spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsites. There's usually so much human activity around here all you see are some raccoons, maybe the rare hungry bear but we humor him and set them up all around. Couple of days pass, we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage of an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets to the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in and he's stamping on the camera hard drives, gibbering things I can't understand. Along the lines of, told me it was clean, safe. No recent activity. BS here I'm not gonna do it. He barks at us to leave. Later he makes a call. Rookie goes up to the door and listens in. Rookie comes back reporting, yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click, and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, practically open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check into one of the closest sites. No campsite and they're told to leave. We are not authorized to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, do not call 911, call the number and do exactly what they say. We draw straws for who gets overnight shifts. Why we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. I asked the manager about it and he just said that standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if I need to call. It is a bad night. I just wind up pacing around with my shotgun, glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what's past them. I hear crickets, and it relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators are around. It is a long night. The next night, my manager draws the short straw. He seems resigned.
In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I've ever seen. Said he bought it just because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call at 3 a.m. It's him. Get over here now. And bring guns. Wah? You have a damn arsenal. Now. Oh I swear to god I messed up. Oh man, I think they're attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was backup would be here in the morning. Oh god damn. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots. A pause. More gunshots. Screaming. Scuffling. The line goes dead. I call the number. A new terse voice answers. Look I work at X Park. I just got off the phone with X. I just spoke with X. What can you report? Something bad happened. It's serious. I heard gunshots. We will have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said he thought they were attracted to the light. Doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. You will be reassigned. Goodbye. Click. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn, let the old trees die and make room for new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was bureaucracies need to be shaken up on occasion. No one asked any more questions. I get transferred to a new park, halfway across the country. Change of scenery and beautiful. They've got some odd rules here too. Don't go far after dark, and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? They won't tell me. Be safe everyone. I was 14 at the time me and my family went on a 10 day hike in the snow. We were late to getting to the first but and had to walk about an hour in the dark. It was creepy, through the forest. The toilets at the hut were about a 200 meters walk from the huts. One night, not sure of the time but early morning. I went to go to the toilet at one of the huts. There was one long wooden path to the hut entrance but towards the end it go bushy and there were about four different paths going down the end, to like camping platforms others walks and the toilet. This intersection scared me because the trees towards the end must have rubbed together and made a really loud freaking sound. While Jay was walking to the toilet I shone my light over to one of the other paths and two white things gleamed back. I literally crapped my myself and ran to the toilets. Not a good idea. As it faced a wide meadow, I shone my light out of the toilet door, the toilets were raised, and as I was doing it I saw another two white dots I again shat myself but as I went to go back into the toilets I dropped my headlamp down the stairs. They went under the structure, where the big tanks full of crap and piss were, I had no way to get them back. It was either I waited till the sun rose or I risked scaring me, injuring myself or getting lost. I sat in the toilet for a good hour, 
I was also scared of drop toilets so that wasn't good either, I couldn't stay up all night because we had a 10 hour day ahead of us and I didn't trust myself enough to walk back to the hut, I waited a fair hour. Then another hiker was coming to the toilets so I bolted to them and told them what happened they didn't really care but at least I had light. The next day when we were just about ready to go, I looked down the path turns out the white dots were just the reflectives in the helicopter pads. I was so tired that day. Out back of my own 30-acre property there is a big grove of eucalyptus trees. I was walking out there to get to the river because me and my friends were going to drink some beer and generally chill by the river but when we walked by the trees, that I've walked by 1000 times before with no weirdness, I thought I saw a little kid peeking out from one of the bigger trees. So I told my friends look right there is that a kid or what? A about 4 foot tall humanoid thing peeked out that was pale white like a grayish color. It had a weird head and honestly that's about as descriptive as I could be because as soon as I saw it my hair stood up and I just ran as fast as I could back to the house to grab my gun. We still go past those trees to get the river sometimes but we never do without a gun. I wish I had not been so scared because I feel like I should have filmed it. The park ranger. John Gann's home away from home is the woods. Specifically, it's the woods of Mission Tejas State Park, 21 miles northeast of Crockett, Texas. He works as a park ranger, taking church groups and school trips through the forest, showing them the woods he so dearly loves. He also shows them relics from the local Caddo Indians that used to live there as well as pioneers who settled a couple of miles away, at the Rice House. Back home, he has a wife, who is retired, and his best friends. He loves his wife and friends, but the park was like that friend that you never really talked to, but you got to know him and enjoy his company. He was at peace with the local wildlife, which he had known all his life. On breaks, he drove a couple of feet off the trail, found a stump, and sat down. He was at peace in the forest. He loved his job, and made damn sure that everyone else will, too. His fantastic stories of Caddo hunts and local legends were loved by all. He made sure that everyone at least knew about what happened. One day, he was taking a group of school kids out on a walk. He talked about the deer, and the birds, and the pines that seemed to stretch up for miles. He was leading the group up a steep hill, when suddenly, he became dizzy, and short of breath. He thought of this as merely the result of his aging body. Then, he began feeling pressure in his chest. A small alarm was ringing in his head, but then he blames the bean-eating competition he had the night before with his wife and friends at the local Mexican restaurant. It was only when his left arm began to feel as though a thousand volts of electricity had pumped into it did he begin to have concern. He knew exactly what was happening. A heart attack. Before he could cry for help, though, he collapsed. He came to moments later, dazed and confused. He got up, 
and caught movement out of the corner of his eye. The curious ex-Vietnam vet stumbled, then walked up the hill, as if nothing was wrong. At the top of the hill were a group of people dressed like the local Caddo Indians. They seemed to have been led by a young woman, holding a baby. They seemed to be dressed right, but something just didn't feel right. Who are you? John asked. Nothing. Can anyone answer me? No response. Well, look, it's been a nice conversation we've had here, but I need to get back. Thank you, said the woman. What? John stammered out, dumbfounded. You are the man who has told our story when no one else would. For that, we thank you. From behind the woman, a small army had amassed. Indians, settlers, ranchers, soldiers, anyone who had lived and died on the park's land. Finally regaining his composure, John replied well, y'all are more than welcome. Now if you excuse me, I need to do my job. The Caddo woman gave John a sad smile, saying I'm afraid you can't do that anymore, John. You're going to be here now. Confused, John turned around. At the bottom of the hill was chaos. His crumpled body lay still in the cool, moist clay. Meanwhile, some parents were performing CPR on John's vacant body, while others tried to get help, and others were trying to comfort the kids. Some of the kids were crying, while others were sitting, trying to wrap their young minds over what had just happened. Some of the bigger, more curious ones were trying to poke John's body with sticks and fingers, trying to stare if he would move and somehow, some way, jump back to life. Everyone had their own ideas on what to do, but panic, then desperation, then realization set in, one after the other. John was dead, and nothing could be done. John watched all of this from the top of the hill, his spirit's presence unbeknownst to the others. Rangers swarmed onto the scene, but a blanket over his body, put his body into the back of a jeep, and drove off. Suddenly, Mexican food didn't taste as good as he had remembered it before. Edit. For those of you who may have read this before, I was told to edit it for formatting, and resubmit it. A bit of backstory. I live in Houston, but my family has lived in Houston County, TX, especially around Crockett, TX, for generations. The story comes from a book called Ghosts of Houston County, Eerie Tales of East Texas. Everything in this story is 100% true, right down to the park's ghosts. The Rice family is one of these ghosts, who appear as the settlers. They built a cabin to serve as a waypoint for travelers and merchants. A replica of the cabin is in the park. I am a direct descendant of the Rice family, as well as one of the county's founding members, so this story is actually pretty personal to me. Was on a big road trip across America going to a bunch of national parks. Friend of mine was working at a YMCA right outside the Rocky Mountain National Park so I stopped and visited. On this road trip I would just hammock where I could, or just sleep in my car. My friend told me about a great spot to hammock. 
It's up on a hill overlooking a lake, out of the way of most people, and has a great view of the sunrise. But to get there you have to hike up this road that almost no car could drive up. By the time I get to where I'm meant to start hiking it is already dark. I have my car parked on the side of the road, driver's door closes, but the driver's side back door open. I'm getting my pack ready for this fairly short hike with my headlamp on. Suddenly every bug in the vicinity goes silent. When that is the only background noise, it is very noticeable. So I look up and look around a bit before hearing a stick break in the woods about 20 feet away. Like something stepped on it. I immediately dove into the back seat of my car, shut the door, and locked my car. My only thought was this could be a bear, or a mountain lion. Either way, F this. So I crawled through to the front and drove away. The next day my friend told me some of her co-workers went up there that next day and saw bears on the way up. A couple months ago in late fall I went to climb Bear Mountain in northwest Connecticut in the very early morning. I hike a lot by myself but for some reason this spot was giving me the creeps. It was just barely light out and the woods were thick, all the leaves had fallen and it was dead dead silent. It really reminded me of the Blair with project. Now I hadn't been on this trail before so I was going slowly and looking around taking it all in. As I walked I was shuffling the leaves with my feet just to make some noise so it wasn't so eerie. That's when I heard what distinctly sounded like a rattlesnake. It made me jump back but then I got to thinking it was pretty cold in fall and there's definitely no rattlesnakes on this little mountain. Those things live in the desert. I was just creeped out altogether and figured I was hearing things. I continued with my hike and then went home. It wasn't until a week later I was reading about the mountain I had climbed, they had a website with a taxonomy section. That's when I saw it, there was rattlesnakes on that mountain. Even worse it went on to explain how they can be seen lounging on the warm rocks in summertime but in fall, they hide under the thick layer of fallen leaves to keep warm. The same leaves I was kicking. I got very lucky that day. I was at least an hour walk from my car and probably another half hour at the very least to the nearest hospital. I live on the east coast of central Florida and have my entire life. I love it here because of all the state parks and water that surrounds my town. Growing up my parents loved to take me camping, fishing, and hunting so I had a great appreciation for the outdoors. One place that we would camp at fairly frequently was the Princess Preserve. The Princess Preserve is a large piece of land on the east coast that has great fishing and more importantly, great camping spots. In 2015 me, my dad, mom, my uncle and his girlfriend, and my friend Taylor booked a Saturday night reservation at one of the camping spots at Princess Preserve. It was the middle of summer and a great time to do some fishing so Taylor and I were pumped for the camping trip. We get to our reserved camping spot that Saturday and are greeted by a park ranger who was signing us in and just verifying that we were the ones who had booked the spot. 
While Taylor and I unloaded our camping equipment I overheard my dad and the park ranger talking. The park ranger said y'all sure picked a great weekend to come camping here. This is usually the busiest time of year but for some reason you guys are the only campers booked for tonight. Looks like you got the place to yourself. That struck me as odd being as we had camped here my entire childhood and every time we did every campsite was full. I wasn't too concerned though because it was time to spend the day fishing and cooking over the fire. Fast forward to that night and Taylor and I decided we were going to walk to the camp showers about a mile from our site. We didn't tell anyone that we were going to the showers so we just grabbed our backpacks full of soap, clothes, and towels and headed out. When we reached the showers I took one first and then Taylor hopped in the stall while I dried off and got dressed. I was sitting on a bench right outside the shower stall when I looked up and saw a man standing in the doorway of the bathroom about 4 feet from me. He was about 5'9", had medium-length messy blonde hair, strikingly blue eyes, and was wearing a light blue shirt with jeans. I immediately locked up with fear because I remembered the park ranger saying that no one else was camping tonight and the park's gate closes at sundown. The guy and I just locked eyes for about 10 seconds and he turned around and walked out. I opened the shower stall door and told Taylor that we had to leave right now because someone just came in the bathroom who shouldn't be here and no one knows we're over here right now. Within 30 seconds. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Taylor had his clothes on and we ran out the bathroom. The guy was nowhere to be seen which was strange because outside of the bathrooms there was a crazy bright floodlight that lit up the entire area about the size of a football field. We were obviously freaked out but we had to make the mile walk back to camp. Up ahead of us about 300 feet was a fork in the dirt road and we had to take a left to get back to the campsites. Right on the corner of that fork was a oak tree with palmetto bushes surrounding its base. As we got closer I noticed a weird shape in the palmetto bush. 
I told Taylor but he claimed he didn't see anything. When we got about 20 feet from the bush I saw it. The man in the light blue shirt was crouched inside of the bushes. I told Taylor that the guy was hiding in the bushes but for some reason he claimed he couldn't see him. A couple seconds later we made the left turn and I was only a foot from the bush. As I passed it the guy was literally staring at me in my eyes with just a deadpan face, absolutely no expression. I was so close to him I could have touched him. I started hyperventilating and told Taylor that if I started running then he needed to run too. He must have thought that I was just trying to scare him. I honestly don't know why I didn't just start running as soon as I passed the guy but maybe I was just a young and naive. We were about 40 maybe 50 feet past the bush when I heard a twig snap behind us. I turned around and saw the guy running full speed towards gripping something large behind his head like a big stick. I immediately ran for my life and turned around to see if Taylor was running or not. He was just standing still, obviously confused. Directly behind him, I mean literally just a foot or two, the guy was bringing down what I thought was a stick but now I could clearly see was a axe, down on Taylor's head. Thank God Taylor's instincts kicked in and he let out the most blood-curdling scream I have ever heard in my life and took off running. The guy's axe missed his head and slammed into the dirt road. We kept running the mile back to camp and looked behind us the entire time expecting to see the guy chasing us but he wasn't. When we got to camp no one was next to the fire or in their tents so we ran down to the water to see if they were fishing. My mom, dad, uncle and his girlfriend were all down at the water together. We told them what happened and they just laughed saying that we must have snuck some alcohol or smoked some weed in the bathrooms and now we're just paranoid. Taylor and I went into our tent and just laid in silence all night listening for footsteps. To this day Taylor hasn't been camping again. I still go camping though, and I've even went camping at the Prince's Place Preserve dozens of times since then hoping I would stumble upon that man so I could kill him myself. I was 15 that night and I'm 27 now. I still can't wrap my head around what happened but I can say with confidence that the guy was planning on murdering my friend and me. We got extremely lucky. Bit of an intro to get to the actual spooky part, but I hope you read through it. Back when I was 12 or 11, I was on day trip out in the woods with my dad kind of a secluded area no people lived around for miles, and the trail itself wasn't maintained anymore. We saw no one else was there per usual, as no other cars were there. A little while later probably a good mile and a half in from the entrance, we stopped walking to relax for a little bit. I had found a nice solid stick during the walk and was fooling around with it. There was a semi-rotten stump where we had chosen to sit, and I discovered hitting it with the stick actually made a really nice, deep, thunk noise. So I hit it a couple times couple times, hit rest, hit hit rest. Following that pattern. After a few seconds I realized there was an echo from far off, even deeper in the woods. Not too weird as there was definitely enough stuff in the area that would bounce the sound back. So I kept messing with it and my dad joined in too. 
In total it was only about 5 to 10 minutes of playing with the stick and stump. And we stopped and decided we're gonna grab our stuff and head back. Then from deep in the woods again came three distant thunk noises. It couldn't be an echo at this point. We looked at each other confused and were wondering what it was. Like I said, other people being this far out in this spot was very unlikely. But then the three thunks came again much closer than they were before. We grabbed our stuff and booked it out of there. Still don't know what exactly it was, had it been a person, they would have been sprinting to move that quickly between sounds. And if it was a person, why were they coming right for us? Never been back to that area since. I suspect many people will not believe this, but we used to have this tradition that my dad, brothers, uncle, and cousins would go camping over spring break in Bankhead National Forest in Al. This is a really neat spot where a natural spring run into a waterfall that we always called the sippin' spot. To get there you have to carefully climb a muddy sandstone wall to the top of the waterfall. It is very beautiful but not a whole lot of people know about it or can make the climb. One year we went up there and found an entire abandoned campsite that had obviously been there undisturbed for some time. It's almost like some time happened and the guy just left everything and walked out, but without his shoes, a radio, and all his clothes and food. We speculated that maybe a storm drove him out or maybe he had fallen to his death somewhere nearby, we never found anything. The strangest part was that we also found spikes set up randomly around the campsite and what I can only describe as a torture altar covered in barbed wire. It was just very strange. We had the rangers check it out, and they cleaned up the site, but never determined what happened. They assumed it was just a bunch of kids messing around, but I'm not sure. Still a very strange moment. Here's my story. My dad and stepmom had recently bought a retirement home in the Southwest and had been living there for a few months. Dad loved the idea of BLM land to hike on. Back home everything worth hiking is privately owned and they'll shoot you for trespassing. He found a few spots and had quickly scouted them on his own, but hadn't explored them in full yet. Stepmom wasn't the hiking sort. We decided to take the family and visit them for spring break week, which finally gave dad some hiking buddies to explore with. He was super excited about everything and very eagerly suggested one spot he had been too nervous to do alone so far. A place that had some cool natural rock formations. It sounded like a great idea and it only took about an hour to get to from his new house, via paved roads. We all jumped into his 4WD truck and headed out. It ended up being a very beautiful area and we pretty much had it all to ourselves. We explored a bunch of stuff until around dinner time, when the kids grew hungry and it had also started to rain. It had been a fairly uneventful day so far and we had hiked slash explored for many hours, so we decided to drive back to his house. Dad decided he would take a scenic, back road to get home. My dad had always had a very good sense of direction, so we didn't question it whatsoever. 
After a while of driving, however, it was clear that the road was not much better than a pothole-ridden two-track, winding through the muddy hills. We started wondering if Dad had early-stage dementia for choosing this awful road. There were some spots where the road was very dangerous, especially with the rain. The truck kept slipping on the hills and our maximum speed was around 8 miles per hour. It got extremely nerve-wracking. It was also taking forever at those speeds and the sun was setting. Our kids kept asking are we there yet, like Donkey does to Shrek. Oh, and did I mention that we didn't have any cell service the whole time we were out there? After driving well over an hour on this two-track, we came to a crossroad that wasn't on any map. It was now just past sunset and we were concerned about driving through this unknown area during the dark. Unsurprisingly, it didn't take long to weigh the pros and cons of taking the mystery road. It was clearly in much better shape than the two-track and didn't appear to be anyone's private driveway or anything. So we decided to take it to save what was left of the truck's suspension and hopefully get everyone back to dad's house before full dark. We hadn't seen another car or person since we left the hiking area. But we did see some free-range cattle and the road had widened so we felt better and better about our decision to take said unnamed road. The sun had sunk deep below the hills and the sky was quickly changing. As it does in the desert at night, but we could see something on the horizon, dead in front of us, that looked like a cloud. As we drove on the cloud grew in size and we all realized something was on fire. After just another mile we could also see flames. It was a house on fire, or rather, a trailer house slash mobile home. It looked like someone's permanent residence, sitting about 150 yards away from the road. We still didn't have cell service. None of us. By the time we got to a well-used driveway in front of the fully engulfed home, we could see other signs of current habitation. A mailbox, a second house trailer not far from the one on fire, a sedan parked about 100 feet from the blazing inferno, a small tractor, a windmill, a shed. Dad and I got a very bad feeling. There were no houses anywhere nearby. We hadn't seen another car or soul in hours. We couldn't get a signal to call 911. If someone was trapped in there, we might be their only hope. My dad screeched to a stop, threw the transmission into park, and without needing to say a word to each other, he and I decided to jump out, leaving my husband, kids, and stepmom behind in the idling truck at the end of the driveway. Dad and I could instantly feel the heat on our faces, even 100 plus yards away from the blaze. The roar of the fire sounded like a freight train, but there were no other sounds. The sky was now pitch black, and it looked quite at odds with the incredible light emanating from the inferno. The flames had to be at least 30 feet tall. Dad and I jogged up the driveway, yelling. Hello? Anybody there? Is everyone okay? And that's when we heard the blood-curdling screams. Upon hearing the wailing voices, we looked at each other for a split second and instantly broke into a full sprint towards the fire. We ran as fast as our legs could go. It sounded like two young children, maybe behind the blaze somewhere, 
They screamed over and over. And we were yelling back, saying things like, we're coming. We will help you. When we heard another voice, a man's voice, we were probably only about 20 yards from the house and were holding hands in front of our faces because of the heat. We couldn't see him at first, but then he seemed to materialize between the fire and the shed. He was calmly standing off to the side, approximately in the same direction as the screams. The firelight made it hard to see him clearly, but he looked like a middle-aged white guy, thin, wearing jeans and a long-sleeved shirt. He was also holding something long, like a shovel or a rake or a stick. Or maybe a rifle. No. It was a rake, certainly. Or. Geez. We couldn't tell. But it made us freeze in our tracks. His voice seemed very calm and without shouting he could clearly be heard over the roar of the fire. It's alright. Those are my birds, he said. And just then the screaming stopped. Dad and I stood there, dumbfounded for a second. The man repeated, it's all right. I have this under control. And just then I heard another scream. And it really did sound more like a bird, now that he said it. This bird scream was followed by a very clear and normal sounding peacock call, emanating from the same direction as the previous screams. It clicked for us. By this time if anyone or anything was still in that house, they were long past saving. And those screams did kind of sound more like birds than children. Okay, my dad said. You sure you're okay, sir? Yes, the silhouetted man very calmly said after a few seconds. Everything is fine. Thank you for stopping to check. We got the distinct feeling he did not want us there. And he was still holding the, uh, rake in his hands. So after another awkward silence, we cautiously took several backward steps, then turned and quickly walked the 150 yards or so back to the truck. We didn't speak to each other on the walk. It was like we were both too afraid and shocked to process it all quite yet. We quietly got into the truck and were peppered with loud questions from our family. I remember neither of us answering, just fastening our seat belts and my dad trying hard to nonchalantly not peel out of there. We both felt very uncertain. As we drove back to dad's house we all talked through the details and pretty much talked ourselves into believing it was just some random guy calmly watching one of his trailers burn to the ground for whatever reason. So had we basically walked into a crime scene? Surely not. No. Being not from the area, I left it to my dad to alert the authorities once we got back to his house. We followed the news for weeks afterward. No missing persons, no foul play. I hope to this day that it was just some lonely hermit and his peacocks and tropical birds, but I think I'll always feel unsure. I have always loved the woods, ever since I was a small child I have found more comfort in them than anywhere else. It wasn't until my adult life that this changed, it all started on a normal camping trip during a cold November weekend. 
Most people would have canceled the trip due to it recently raining and with a high of 37 all weekend long however I enjoyed the extra challenge. The trip was to Mammoth Cave National Park in South Central Kentucky. For those of you who aren't in the know, Mammoth Cave is the largest cave system in the world with a beautiful national park full of amazing trails and places to go canoeing and all your other favorite outdoor activities. That is of course on a surface level. Many locals know not to go on the north side of the park at night alone or even in a small group. Quite a few people have gone missing over the years and very seldom is it on the south side of the park. The park is split down the middle by the Green River which stretches across the park from east to west connecting Nolan Lake and Green River Lake, both of which being popular spots during the summer for camping. Everyone's uncle had seen Bigfoot in these woods, heck I'm sure that they also shared a sandwich a time or two. I've never believed in the paranormal, I think it can all be explained away by logic and reasoning. Saw a ghost? Yeah right that's just your brain imagining it, did that light turn off on its own? Sure, might want to call the electrician to fix the crappy job the first electrician did while the house was being built. In saying that, I will admit that I do enjoy a good story, especially creepy ones found across the internet, especially those of the local urban legend across Kentucky of the Goat Man or the Barilla. For those who don't know what the Barilla is, it is a local legend in south-central Kentucky about an animal frequently seen at Native American burial grounds and local cemeteries at the edge of small towns. It's described as having short black-slash-gray fur with a massive waist and even larger arms. It didn't get the name Barilla for nothing. Its head is being described as that of a large wolf with long pointy ears, amber eyes and a short stubby snout. Some have described it more along the lines of what a stereotypical werewolf would look like. And for the Goatman well we have all heard that tale before I don't think it needs any introduction. Anyways back to the camping trip, I was going alone this time. I thought about bringing my son along as he had just recently turned 13 and I felt more comfortable taking him on longer harsher trips with minimal gear. He always seemed to enjoy camping but this was out of his league. It was too cold and the trail was too harsh and unforgiving for anyone without proper experience. The trip itself was over the course of two days. The first was hiking up to the site which was set up on the highest point in the park. The next was of course a slow hike back which in all honestly would be even more dangerous due to the rapid drop in elevation combined with the cold slick mud and clay that would be found on the trail. I always made sure to pack lightly on hiking trips like this to really push myself when it came to my survival skills. On this trip I carried with me a small knife, two 50-foot strands of 550 paracord, my tent and sleeping bag and some iodine tablets to purify the water of any harmful bacteria found in the water, a small flashlight really only strong enough to illuminate 10 to 15 feet in front of me and then of course a fire starter and duct tape. Overall I packed more than I normally would for such a trip however with the recent birth of my second child a few months ago I started to take less risks and packed more each time. For food I brought with me a pack of beef jerky and some granola bars. That's really all I needed to feed my slim frame of 150 pounds at 5 apostrophe 11. 
Time came for me to leave for my trip. Getting in the truck I felt a cold feeling wash over me. Like a sixth sense telling me not to go on this trip but I ignored it. I had already taken off work for the two days I would be gone and I'm not about to waste the few precious vacation days I got each year. The drive itself should only take three hours depending on the ferry still used by the park. The ferry was the quickest and easiest way to get across to the north side of the park without adding an extra two to three hours onto the drive. It was a common complaint to those who came on vacation from out of state. However us locals usually took the chance to catch up on a new book or to double check our gear in case we had forgotten to pack something while waiting for the ferry to reach the south side boarding dock. I was currently reading a Game of Thrones for the third time. Peace Danny is like 14 you perverts. It took the ferry only 45 minutes to get back on the south side but when the crew stepped off they went to each of our vehicles to tell us due to the increase in wind and with the currents being strong today there would be no more rides across the water today. Anyone wanting to get across would have to go around and take a bridge across, the closest one being an hour and a half drive away from the docks. This at the time had upset me however I understood why they couldn't risk the journey across to the other dock and so I went on my way. It was a fairly long and boring drive. There was no use in bringing my cell phone due to there being no signal anywhere in the park even on the tallest peak of the park you would get no signal. Yes I know what people are going to say you should still bring your cell phone when going out camping and to that I agree but I hated the distraction of it. It always pulled my attention from nature and I also just didn't want to deal with another piece of equipment I would need to keep track of. Remember in my mind the lighter the better. Originally I had planned to get to the parking lot at the beginning of the trail by 9am however it was now noon and I only had about a good 7 hours of daylight left. This meant I wouldn't be able to make it to the camping grounds at the end of the trail by nightfall. This isn't the first time this had happened to me however I always hated it when it did. Hiking up the steep incline even in perfect conditions at night was dangerous and heavily advised against by park rangers so I would have to make do and set up camp at the first area I could find after sunset started and wake up early tomorrow to catch up on the three hours I've lost due to the ferry. The first three hours of the hike went perfect, I saw a timber rattlesnake. If you ever visit the eastern United States watch out for those. Not only are they big and strong for a snake they are also very and I mean very venomous. Once I had hit the 5 hour mark on my hike I had run out of water for the second time and needed to refill my bottle since this was the last chance you get until you make your way back down. I was going to go for another 30 minutes or so before I made camp. There is a nice clearing up ahead that if I can get to then I will be in good shape to make up for the lost time tomorrow. While refilling my water I noticed a paw print in the mud 7 feet off to my left on the bank. It was undoubtedly a canine print left from where what I presumed was a coyote coming to stop for some water sometime in the last 24 hours. That was until I got closer to the print and realized just how massive it was. Now I'm a smoker. I smoke around a pack a day and well this print was two packs long and slightly bigger than one pack wide. Let me translate that for all the non-smoking readers, whatever made this print was massive. There's no way a coyote made this print, but there aren't any wolves in Kentucky.
There's also no dog breeds I know of that have prints that big. Whatever made this was massive and well I had no intentions on staying here by the river and wait for its return. I hurried back on to the trial this time with more pep in my step so I could hurry and set up camp to offer some protection if whatever the thing that made the print was still around. I made it to the clearing and set up camp just as the sunset was starting to fade into dusk. First I quickly set my tent up and threw my sleeping bag inside followed by starting a fire. If there was a predator out there in those woods the fire would keep them at a distance for a while at least so I thought. I next used my two strands of 550 paracord and tied them around the campsite at knee level to act as a tripwire for anyone or anything coming onto the campsite to give myself a few more precious seconds of time to react. I finally sat down and tore into the pack of jerky I had packed. This gave me some comfort and relaxation as now I had food in my stomach and a fire to keep me warm. Then I heard it snap. My blood went cold as my mind went a million miles an hour as to what could have made that noise. Was it a person? Could it just be some sort of animal like a deer just passing through? What if it was that creature that made the pint back down at the river? Whatever it was it was large and heavy as I heard twigs snapping louder and louder as it drew closer. Who's out there? Announce yourself. No answer came. I have a gun and I will shoot if you don't announce yourself it was a lie however it was a bluff that had gotten a response countless times over the years however still no answer came. Whatever was making these noises was heavy, it had to have been several hundred pounds for it to make twigs snap that loud like they were bones being broken with each and every step. That's also when I noticed just how much distance the creature had covered in only a few seconds. Whatever it was, it couldn't be human. Its pace was too slow for the amount of ground covered and the steps were too loud and powerful for it to be a person. Some time had passed before I heard anything else, the steps had stopped just outside of the light my fire produced. Whatever this thing was, it was smart and understood to stay out of the light where it could see me and I couldn't see it. And there we stayed for what felt like an eternity, unmoving trying desperately to stretch the little bit of spare wood I gathered to keep the fire going as long as possible. It was waiting for the fire to die out, but I wouldn't let it. I couldn't let this thing get its chance to attack me in the dark. I knew if it really wanted me all it would have to do is come right into camp and have me for dinner but it never came. Some time had passed and the fire had come to its small desperate final breaths of life when I decided to head into my tent thinking the creature had moved on to choose another target. That's when I saw it, those awful amber eyes, cold without emotion. They struck utter fear into me. This creature was massive. It had to have been at least 8 to 9 feet tall. I couldn't see the body. It was too dark for that, but those eyes. Those cold terrible eyes will haunt me for the rest of my days. I still see them to this day every night laying awake and in my sleep. I quickly turned my flashlight on and saw the large lanky frame of this beast. Its dark black fur covered up what was undoubtedly an impressive and horrifying amount of muscle for its build. That's when I realized the putrid stench that had come with it. In my fear I had not noticed the foul smell of death and rot that followed this creature. 
It only took the smallest moment to react and drop down to all fours and let out the lowest, most awful growl I ever heard. It could be felt in my soul the anger and hatred this thing possessed could only be described as pure evil incarnate. I quickly hurried into my tent and hid for the gruesome end that was about to come my way, praying not to any specific deity but anyone or anything out there who could hear me. I do not want to die, I do not want to die please God save me I do not want to die. I heard the creature approach right up on the tent sniffing and growling at me, I swear I don't think my heart had beat a single time. What felt like hours had passed without a sound. Then it was gone. Its howls could be heard off into the distance reminding me that I was lucky to not end up as its supper tonight. I did not sleep for even a second that night, how could I? I had just experienced the face of pure evil, malice itself given form into our world. I knew I should not be alive and that the only reason I did not die that night was by its choice and that alone. When dawn broke I exited my tent and found evidence of the creature all over the campsite. Pieces of fur, paw prints and claw marks on nearby trees just to name a few. This trend continued on the trail back to the car, I never made it to the end of the trail. As soon as I packed up camp I hightailed it out of those woods. I knew if I was to encounter that creature again I would not be so lucky next time. When I got to the car I threw my backpack into the back seat and hurried into the front seat of the car not saying a word. I sat there in silence with my face in my palms. When I looked up I saw its amber eyes staring at me looking at me with a pleased expression on its face of the terror and trauma it had just caused me. This thing. It was intelligent. It wasn't after me to kill or for sport. It was after me to make me suffer. Like human suffering was its way of feeding, the look of pleasure on its face. That grin with its long terrible yellow teeth showing. God why is such a creature allowed to exist in this world? What grave sin have I committed to be tortured by this thing's existence? I started the car's engine and drove off, driving well over the speed limit. Every now and then at a stop sign I would swear I saw those amber eyes but each time when I looked again they were gone. When I got to the north side of the park's dock I waited there patiently as the ferry slowly made its way back. When the crew finally came up to my car they stopped and remarked how pale I looked, like I had seen a ghost. I knew they wouldn't believe my story so I brushed it off as the cold weather taking its toll. I rode home in silence, the radio was turned off and I was left to my own thoughts racing through my mind about the creature. When I arrived home late that night my wife had already put our daughter to sleep, my son was off at some friend's house playing Halo 3 having a good time. I sat there on the couch contemplating what had happened out there on that trip. I decided to head to bed soon after. When I had opened the door my wife Sarah had remarked that I stunk and if I had been sprayed by a skunk. My blood ran cold, I smelled it too now, that awful putrid stench. I made sure not to make a face and dismissed her claim and went to take a shower. As I got done I looked out the window and there it was. Illuminated by the street light with that insidious grin on its face. It had followed me home and saw the fear on my face, oh the joy that must have given it. It's been two months since that camping trip, every night it returns.
sometimes brushing up against the side of the house, other times staring through the window and others howling in the distance. It made sure I understood it wasn't going anywhere. I had done some digging online and found out the creature was the Barilla, it had other names as well like Dog Man and the Beast of Bray Road. It's been three more months since I found out what this creature was. I've been in contact with God knows how many experts to try and rid this thing from my existence. Each attempt became more and more desperate and with each attempt the dog man's pleasure grew it knew I was desperate to rid myself of it. I cannot keep living my life this way. When you find that I will be gone by the time you find this, just know I love you and I'm sorry. I will not give this creature the pleasure it seeks so adamantly. I am sorry. I love you all and when you read this please sell the house and move as far away from Mammoth Cave as you can. When it learns I have killed myself it will come for one of you next.